for a moment before we look into God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider your word now, we thank you for it. We thank you how the truths of scripture are transformative because they point us to Christ. We think of, for example, as we'll gather as a church family this Thursday at 2, as we have the memorial service for Dan, that the truths of scripture, they're not just words. They're truths that actually impact us and change how we do life. They're not just some theory, but they're based in the biblical sense on certain hope. And so we thank you for that. And Lord, as we consider your word now, we pray that you would anoint and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the message today is going to be a little bit different. Because not long ago, I was struck by two things. And you know how that works, you are going through life, and these are not new things, these are things you know, things you already understand. In my case, they're things that I've taught about and spoken about many times, but all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you're struck by those things again. And these two things happen two days apart two weeks ago. And both of them just stopped me in my tracks. And they, they challenged me to renew my commitment in these areas. And I felt compelled to speak to you about them. And so as I share these things, I'm going to invite you to ask God to say, how do these things settle in my context? You know, how do these things transfer into my life? And what might that look like in my life? And so it was Saturday, June the 9th, and I was at a party. And I was having a great time because I was there at a reunion of the youth group that I was part of when I was a teenager at Hillsdale Alliance Church in Regina. And the last time some of us had been together was 36 years ago. And some of those people that were there were friends I had not seen since then. Some of the friends that were there that night were friends that I had performed their wedding ceremony for when I was a brand new pastor. Some of the friends that were there that night were people that I'd had the privilege when I was 16 years old to lead to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Some of the people that were there that night were people that I'd literally carried to the hospital when they were writhing in pain. And so there was an ocean of memories that came back to me as I was at that party just over two weeks ago. Not everybody could be there, but there was 20-some people that were there that um, sat around individually or in small groups chatting with one another about their memories and renewing acquaintances and things like that. But eventually we gathered in a large group in a backyard in the southwest part of Calgary. And as we sat in this large group, we answered two questions as a group. The first question was, I remember when. And so people began sharing memories 
from that era. And then the second question, which is a great question as well, we said, what's the most significant thing that happened to me during that time in my life when we were together? And there was a lot of cool stories that were shared. But for over an hour during that time, we reminisced and we talked around a pivotal event in the lives of many of the people in that group. It was certainly pivotal in my life. When I was 16 years old and part of that group, we were all traveling. And I've told some of you this story. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But we were traveling to the city of Brandon, Manitoba. And there was a car accident that I was, you know, I was in the column of cars that went. There were three cars that went. And uh, the last car in that column had a head-on collision, basically, with a semi-trailer. And my best friend, Dallas, three days younger than me, died in that accident. The girl that I was deeply fond of at the time died in that accident. And a young mom died in that accident. And there's a list. My friend Matt sent it to me. Um, he's the lead pastor at Rock Point Alliance Church up in Calgary, Church of a Couple Thousand People. Sent me a list of probably 30, I didn't count, but 30 or 40 names that are in full-time vocational ministry all around the world. People that are pastors, people that are missionaries, people that are theologians in our schools, people that many of whom, um, part of the reason, if not maybe in a very strong sense, a whole part of the reason, God moved them into that area of life because of that forming event. And so we're talking around and we're um, uh, speaking through this event. And uh, as we were reminiscing, I'm looking around the group. And all of a sudden, I looked across the group and a little bit to the left. And I looked into the eyes of one of my friends. And I was struck by something. Something that I already knew. Something that I'd prayed about and thought about many times. But I was struck again. Before I tell you what that was, I want you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Mark. Because this passage illustrates what I'm about to say. Mark chapter 10. Mark is the third, sorry, the second book. I better get that right. Uh, it'll take my ordination back. Second book in the, uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 10, one of the stories of the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Mark chapter 10. And as I read this, I want to remind you that this is the word of the Lord. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher. The man declared. All these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible with him. And so this rich young ruler, one of the ruling elite of that society, wealthy guy approaches Jesus, and he is entirely sincere. He says to Jesus, good teacher, in that culture, in that era, this was a revered title. You did not use that title lightly. He was very respectful of Jesus. And he comes and he, he asks a very sincere question. Good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? And a discussion ensues between him and Jesus, in which the rich young ruler through the thinks to himself that the answer to this question, and this was a common misconception, especially for them, was external conformity. The way that I inherit eternal life, this guy thought, was through external conformity. And he said to Jesus, I haven't done any of these things, and I've done all of these things. And surely the cumulative effect of all those actions or lack of actions on my part will make it so that I can inherit eternal life. I have done all of the things I need to do since I was a boy, since I was 13 years of age in that culture, to earn this. This is what every religion in the world teaches. Study them. Just read their stuff. Every single religion in the world, this is how they understand that you have a relationship with their concept of whoever God is. It says in verse 21 that Jesus looks at this guy and he loves him. We've been singing about the love of God this morning, reading about the love of God. Jeremiah 31, Behold, I have loved you with an ever everlasting love. Jesus looks at this guy and loves him. Remember that this is a good guy. This is a sincere individual. He wants, he desperately wants to be deeply connected to God. And so you don't come up to Jesus who was on the outs with the power elite of that society, of which this young man was one. You don't come and do this unless you're entirely sincere. Jesus says to him, it is absolutely impossible, says to him and the team, it is absolutely impossible to earn your way through external conformity to God. It's absolutely impossible. Which flies in the face and is completely in contradiction to every religion in the world. This is why Jesus is unique. This is why Jesus is standalone. There is no one else like Christ in all of human history. Jesus says, it's absolutely impossible. And then he says, let me give you an illustration of it. And I understand there's different ways they try to illustrate this illustration. But basically, he's saying it's impossible. He says, it's like a full-sized camel was to squeeze itself through the eye of a needle. That's how possible it is 
to earn your way through what you do or don't do to God. Absolutely impossible. So then they're asking, they're standing around, they're scratching their head, they're going, how does, how does anyone get saved then? How does anyone have an eternal relationship with God? And Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter with the rich young ruler. There's nothing wrong with what you've done, rich young ruler. But none of it, no amount of it, no matter how much you do or don't do these things, none of this stuff will give you a relationship with God and eternal life. However, and here's the good news, God has made the impossible possible. And that's through grace. And this is why I will die on the cross, Jesus says. I will die in your place. I will pay the penalty in full for your sin. What does Jesus expect in return? What does the passage say? I could summarize it with one word. Everything. This is what he expects in return. Nothing less than that. He expects everything. He expects all that we are, all that we have, all that we hope to be. Nothing less than that. Our life completely and utterly surrendered to him. He offers, he, he paid for and provided the free gift of grace. He offers it to whoever would receive it. Unearned, unmerited, you can't earn it, you can't do anything to get it. You just have to receive it. And in return, he expects everything. This is why Jesus says to the guy, because he knows this guy, he perceives what's going on in this guy's heart. He says to him, go and sell everything you have and give it away. If you know your Bible at all, you know Jesus doesn't ask everybody to do that. But he does ask this guy to do that. Why? Because Jesus perceived in this guy that money, the love of money, not money itself, the love of money, was his small g God. There's nothing wrong with money. If you know your Bible, you know there's nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with working and earning money and all that good stuff. But money for him, and sadly for many of us in our culture, was his first love. Money in his mind equated with power and comfort and security and position. And Jesus says to this guy, God wants all of you. Full surrender. See, when we surrender, we receive joy. We receive peace. Some of the things we were singing about this morning. Back, and so this guy hears this, and in verse 22 it says, his countenance or his face falls, and he leaves in sorrow because he wouldn't say yes to God. Surrender, biblical surrender brings joy. Disobedience brings sorrow. He started out so well. He was incredibly sincere. He was very fervent. But then he drifted away. So the evening was going very well. We're sitting around in the big group. I looked across and to the left, I looked into the eyes of one of my friends. And all of a sudden, I was struck. Because there was a few people in that circle. Good people. And I'm not just saying that. These are good people. 
These are sincere people. These are kind people. These are giving people. And when I knew them as a teenager, they were pursuing God sincerely and fervently. And now later in life, from what I can tell, the same kind of attributes still there. Now, many of them very successful, well-educated, in some cases leaders in their field. One of them uh, one of, heads one of the largest departments at the Mayo Clinic in the United States. But some of them, including my friends whose eyes I lost here, have drifted far from God. Because when Jesus said to them, I require everything, they said no. And as we shared that night, I could hear the regret in their voice as they spoke. One of my pastor friends sent me a private message after that night. And here's what he wrote. I felt saddened by the drift from Jesus in some of our tribes. May he cause our collective example to spur them to repent. When I was struck that night, I looked directly into the eyes of my friends and a few other friends. I purposely locked eyes with them. And basically off and on through the rest of the night I was doing that and I was praying for them. I've prayed for these people many times over the years. But there was a deeper and a unique fervency that night as the party was going on. And for me personally, I was just challenged and struck by how easy it is to drift. I shared this story with our staff here in the church in our staff meeting, and I said this to them. Remember this, the most important gift you give to the people at UDOC is a holy life. A holy life. A life where Jesus is the one we love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Where he has our everything. And so this struck me, and I just ask you, where are you at? Where are things at with you and Jesus? days after that, so on the Monday, I'm scrolling through Facebook, and uh, I see a post from one of my friends, not from that group of friends, but another friend, and in particular, this individual was a friend of mine in the early 1990s. Again, this is a person, very generous, very kind, extremely intelligent entrepreneur, he's a computer guy, and I remember him turning the light bulb on for me about, I don't know that much about computers, but I was totally in the dark then, and he turned the light bulb, he could explain, and he could teach, and he was patient, and he helped people. Very intelligent, entrepreneur, married to a, a wonderful, wonderful woman. At the time, in the early 90s, when we were especially close, little wee daughter. 
seeing two more there. This guy loved Jesus. Uh, this guy was growing in his relationship with Jesus. This was a guy, and I'd been a pastor at this point for a while. This was a guy, you just sense, God was, you know, I was thinking, this is a guy that will sit on an elders board one day. He'll be a leader in God's church. And so I spent time with him to invest in him, as well as him investing in me. I remember when we were in Calgary, he came and visited me. He, his family moved to Calgary for business, and he came to visit me, and, we were, he was, and I was thinking, oh, I really, want, I really want this guy to come to our church. They lived on the other side of the city. I thought, oh, God, you know, it would be awesome if they came, but I only want them to go where you want them to go, but it would be great if they came because they'd be great on our team here. I went to the other address and I saw him. Love Jesus. Now, he lives east of here, and a number of years ago, started up his own company. Very successful. International company. Has hired many people, hiring people I see quite regularly. He's a global player. He often travels around the world for business. And so, on the Monday, I noticed this post, and if you know Facebook at all, sometimes there's little posts people will enable this. It says, so-and-so is traveling to this place. And I saw the little picture of the airplane, and normally I don't bother looking at those, but I noticed my friend's name, and it said, he's traveling to Paris, France. And I went, oh, cool, he's heading back over to Europe again, I'm assuming that things are uh, ramping up in his business over in France, blah, blah, blah. And I was just going to move away very quickly, and, but then I noticed something odd. Turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs is right in the middle of the Bible, just past the book of Psalms. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She, ne she gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enriches another man's heart. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. If you were to read that whole chapter, uh, there's about seven things that I would identify in that chapter. Don't worry, we're not going to go through them all. There's about seven things that you can see 
where the writer to the, of the Proverbs here is saying, here's some things that you can do to avoid temptation, to giving in to temptation. And the context, and he says, let me illustrate it in the context of someone having an affair. Let me just highlight one thing in verses 15, 15 and 18 of chapter 5. It says this, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Then the parallel verse here, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. The big idea, one of the seven things, is to orient your life and your decisions to having a vital, ongoing, growing relationship with the most important things in your life. Work at those relationships so you won't be tempted to look elsewhere. Because, as it says, it will end up bitter as gall. And it says it can wreck you financially and spiritually. Remember the spouse of your youth. How did you fall in love? What brought you joy as a couple? Don't forget those things. Don't neglect those things. Invest in those things. So I'm looking at Facebook a week ago Monday. And I noticed that he's traveling to Paris. But then I noticed so-and-so is traveling with so-and-so. And it's a woman's name. And at first, to be honest with you, my gut, visceral reaction was, ooh, this guy's traveling with one of his female employees, took the two of them to Paris. This is really unwise. I should call this guy. I shouldn't do this. This is not a smart thing to do. You're asking for trouble. But then I got churning inside a little bit, and I snooped him on Facebook. And he was not traveling with his wife. He was traveling with his new girlfriend. And you know, sadly at times in my job, I hear stories like that. It breaks my heart. But this is one of those ones that just stopped me dead in my tracks. As I was looking into this, I saw the picture of the little daughter that's now full grown. And she was in a wedding dress. So I clicked on her page. And I noticed something in the wedding picture. There's lots of them. She's just gotten married lately, recently. There's all kinds of pictures of her and her new husband. There's all kinds of pictures of her and the bridesmaids and bride, groom, whatever those guys are called. The guys that stand up and all kinds of those pictures. And then... Uh, there was a bunch of pictures with her and her mom, a bunch of pictures with her and her two sisters, pictures of her and her mom and her two sisters, the four of them. But there wasn't one picture of her dad. Not one picture of her dad. Guard your heart. Fight for your marriage. Give yourself up for your spouse. If you're tempted, the Bible would say take radical steps. Take whatever steps you have to take 
remove yourself from those temptations. How do we react when God strikes us with something? Life lessons.